you're here, and uh, I want to share a little bit tonight, um, before we get too deep into the study that we're doing right now, I want to back up and set a kind of a biblical framework, or maybe set a, uh, a biblical concept that will give us the reason of, of, of the urgency of the matter that we're talking about, okay? I want to look into scripture tonight, and uh, the place that we're going to be going is Second Timothy, if you want to turn there. Really, just to summarize, last week I introduced the idea of hermeneutics, and uh, just so we're reminded of the simple definition of hermeneutics, is hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. And uh, so we're talking about not only what words are there, that's, we were talking about how we got the Bible, uh, but we're talking about what do we do with those words now that we have the Bible. Um, and so in order to properly read the Bible, study the Bible, we need to interpret the Bible correctly. And in order to do so, there's a few hurdles that we need to jump in interpreting the Bible. And the four hurdles that I mentioned to you last week are history. There's a big history hurdle here. The reason being is that uh, the things we're reading about happened thousands of years ago. Uh, and we don't live in the same culture as them. And so even if you were to go, it, uh, I mean, as Jim was mentioning earlier, the country that we live in now is a very different place than it was even 10, 20, 30 years ago. We're talking about a culture thousands of years ago. And so how much different was it then to understand the things that are happening in their culture? And so we need to bridge that gap in a sense. But not only that, there's a language issue. The, this, the original languages here are not our language, and so there's another hurdle for us. And not only that, there's a philosophy difference in that the, the way they viewed the world was different. And so we can't read Scripture properly unless we get in their shoes and we start to view the world the way they did and understand what originally was being written so that we can have an understanding of what's being said. And so this is what we want to do, but... You may not have a sense of urgency uh, to want to peer into these things, um, but what I hope tonight is by Scripture is to instill that urgency in you uh, by what Scripture has to say about this. So let's look together tonight at 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, we're going to focus all our attention tonight uh, on this passage. I'm going to give a couple other references on the side, but... Our primary focus is going to be here. 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 through 18. And it says, Remind them of these things, and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will only lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some. All right, we'll stop right there for tonight. He begins by saying, 
remind them of these things. Now remember that this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege in a sense, right? He was training Timothy up into the ministry and he was, uh, Timothy was in a different location than him at this time. And so Paul was giving him instruction on what to do as he was at a local church. He says, so I, I want to make sure that you, Timothy, are reminding them of these things. What are these things? Just look up a few verses and we can see what these things are. And I, I have it on the, no, I don't have it on the screen. Never mind. Just look up a few verses. Um, it says, starting in verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. That's important. He's saying, I'm, I'm bound by chains, but the word of God is not bound by chains. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And the saying is trustworthy. And probably your Bible has this section, it looks a little different. And the reason is because it was most likely a hymn or a poem that was known by the church and that was sung most likely. And it says, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And so he said to Timothy, first, remind them of these things. So reminders are good for the church because we have to be reminded constantly about what it, because the world tugs at us to be concerned about other things. But we have to pull ourselves back in to be reminded of what is most significant, what is most important for our thoughts and for our actions and for what we ought to be doing, what we ought to be thinking about, what we need to remember. And so he's saying, remember Jesus Christ. Remember that the word of God is not bound. No matter what's happening to me, the word of God is not bound. And, and then he says, so remind him of these things, but not to quarrel about words. Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. All right, so here's my question for you. I am telling you that what we need to do is look into Scripture and look at the words and make sure that we understand the words and that we interpret those words properly. My question is, am I telling us that what we need to do is simply find a more advanced way to quarrel about the words of Scripture? Because it, you could interpret it that way right? I'm saying, oh, you think it means this? Well, let me tell you what the actual words mean. Am I wanting to quarrel with you about words? And is that what scripture actually warns me against? Hmm. I think we would say no to that because he says the word of God is not bound, but there are those people who are wanting to quarrel about words. Tell them, charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Is what we're doing in hermeneutics quarreling about words? I would say no. Look at, for example, 1 Timothy 6. Turn there. The reason I want you to go to 1 Timothy 6 is because he had just told them, he had just told Timothy something previously that I believe he's building his case on. He had written Timothy a letter previously and so we take into context what he has previously told Timothy and we say, okay, Timothy was already aware of this 
and he's saying this to him in, in addition. What, what, did, what did Paul say to Timothy beforehand? I know it's in a different letter, but it's still words that Paul spoke to Timothy. What did, what did he say? This I do have on the screen. Okay, 1 Timothy 6, beginning second part of verse 2. So he says, it's going to be very similar, but listen to what he says to Timothy. Teach and urge these things. And if anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. There, do you see it? Charge them before God not to quarrel about words. Which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Okay, put these two texts together. And what is being said here is this, is two very simple things that, as far as our study is concerned. Number one, that right doctrine exists. And that right doctrine is established by sound words. In other words, you can't have a teaching without words, right? How can I teach something without using words? Now, I can give you an example by the way I live. But we all have to admit that if I don't use words, I can't teach. So right doctrine exists. He's saying, if anyone teaches different doctrine, they've swerved from the truth. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy. So right doctrine exists. It's something there for us to grab a hold of. And the way in which we arrive at sound doctrine is how? Through words. Right? Okay, so that leads us back to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, jump down to verse 16. I'm skipping a verse. I'm skipping verse 15. Verse 16 says, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will sped, spread like gangrene. Okay. So what's happening here? There's kind of, in a sense, theological speculation that's happening and it's being spread among the people and bad teaching, which produces ungodliness, spreads among the people. Why might it spread among the people? Because incorrect or false doctrine, bad teaching, anti-biblical teaching normally makes people feel good. And you say, I want more of that. And you tell somebody that and all of a sudden it spreads because you're telling me exactly what I wanted to hear. Yes, thank you. I keep, this guy keeps telling me that's wrong, but you're telling me it's right. Thank you very much. I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna spread that. You know what? I know somebody else that wants to hear that too. And so this spreads, do you see it? It, it spreads among the people because this is what you actually wanted to hear. It's easy to spread. And so Paul is warning Timothy. Warn them, charge them before God not to give themselves over to irreverent babble and a quarreling about words and theological speculation here. 
But instead, you need to be devoting yourselves to sound doctrine, which can be found. It is out there, okay? He's swerving from the truth. And then he gives an example of it, doesn't he? He gives an example of two people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Great names, I think. They have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. And they're upsetting the faith of some. So this particular situation was a, a theological uh, speculation that, that came out of people really wanting, uh, most likely, in all these cases, there's some kind of selfish motive for bringing this kind of teaching about. Because you might say, well, why would you say that? Why would you say the resurrection has already happened? Um, well, it's upsetting the faith of some. It's causing division. It's causing people to lose faith. Hymenaeus and Philetus have swerved from the truth. It, it may be that these people never had a hold of the truth, and now they're leading people into division and strife, and they're, bringing, they're, they're attempting, if possible, to lead astray those who have actually clung to the truth. And it's possible for people to bring in some kind of destructive heresy, as other places in scriptures call it, destructive heresies that could lead us astray. Tell me, have you ever believed anything theologically that you found out later on to be incorrect? Did that theological concept have real-life application? It actually caused you to act or think or behave in a certain way. But then you realize, but the theology was wrong, which led me to have bad behavior. So theology matters. Doctrine matters. How do we arrive at right doctrine? Because if I believe the wrong thing, it's going to make me act the wrong way. It's going to lead me into ungodliness. Right, that's what false doctrine does. It leads you into ungodliness. Leads you into bad practice. So then, do we need to be careful to devote ourselves to right doctrine because right doctrine then produces right living? How do we arrive at right doctrine? Through words. Through what words? The words of God. Properly interpreted. Okay, so we're going to move on to, I've, I skipped verse 15. I did for a reason. Okay, let's look at verse 15 together. So this is, Paul's charge to Timothy. Here's the, the positive thing that he's to do, okay? Warn people, stop people. Here's the bad stuff that's going on. Tell them not to go into irreverent babble and false doctrine and all these things, right? But here's the positive thing that, that Timothy's to do. Verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. And here's how he does that. Rightly handling the word of truth. So is there a wrong way to handle the word of truth? And there's a right way to handle the word of truth? That word handle is, is a, a, a funny little word. Some of your Bibles may not even say handle. It may say something different. <coughs> ortho tomeo. Ortho. You kind of know that, right? It means straight, right? I go to the orthodontist for my braces to make my teeth straight. And so ortho is straight, tome is to cut, 
peritome is circumcision, to cut. So to cut in a straight line or to divide properly. Rightly dividing the word of God. That's what it means. And so <clears throat> when you get to the word of God, there is a way to rightly divide it. There is a way to wrongly divide it. What? We're talking about words. We're talking about words. There's a way to rightly understand the words. There's a way to wrongly understand the words. There's a way to properly teach right words. There's a wrong way to teach these words. So two points here on the screen. Rightly dissecting, dividing the word leads to sound doctrine. Sound doctrine leads to godly living. You, f- you following the train of thought here? It all follows in logical progression here, doesn't it? Don't let people have all this irreverent babbling that's going to lead people into ungodliness, and the ungodliness comes from them not interpreting the word properly. They misunderstand the word of truth. Have you ever listened to a sermon that wasn't just, I'm not talking about a bad sermon and, yeah, that was not structured very well. It was way too long. You, it just, it wasn't good. I didn't get it. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying, did you ever hear a sermon where something was taught with authority that was just plain wrong? Plain wrong. Claiming to be the word of God, but was actually the word of man. Absolutely. We need to rightly dissect the word of God. Now, primarily, God has established in the church teachers and shepherds. We know that to be the case, right? Okay, look at these two verses with me. It's actually three total, but James 3, 1, and then Romans 16, 17, and 18. Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. James 3, 1 says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Those who teach the word of God are judged with greater strictness because what they're teaching is the word of truth. And they need to dissect it, divide it (coughs) rightly for the people of God. There are those who hold influence over people and those are teachers. So let me pause right here and tell you something that I've been very affected recently by my research for hermeneutics, which I began two weeks ago. And I shared some of, some of that with you when I, I reviewed some of these sermons from these great influential churches. And then... I took my study to the next level and I began looking at other churches and other areas. I began looking at churches in our area, churches of influence. And, and I began looking all over the place. I was listening to many, many, many different things. And what I was looking for is how many churches are giving their people the word of God. How many churches are having sermons that are explaining what the word of God has said? 
And you know, in all the sermons that I listened to, I became more and more unsettled in my heart for what I was finding. And I realized that the condition is far more grim than I could ever have imagined. Is that most of the places that I'm looking at that have so much influence in the lives of those who call themselves Christians are not giving their churches the word of God. They're giving their churches the word of men. The sermons are not about God's word. They're about what they want to say. Does this have effect? Does this affect people? Does this affect how people are living? Does it affect what they're doing? If they're not being taught right doctrine, what are they not doing? Living godly lives, how can they? They live according to the truth that they're taught. But what if what they're being taught isn't the truth? Right? Listen to Romans 16, 17, and 18. I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And with smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. I found in many sermons that I listened to Great communicators, far better communicators than myself. I admit that. Man, these guys have a presence about them. And uh, it's great. And they can really communicate with their people. Tell me, though, are you not better connected with someone who's just a great communicator? We connect with great communicators. But what is it they're communicating? Unfortunately, it's not much. It is a lot of flattery, and it is deception. Unfortunately. I say this, so what is taught matters, and teaching comes through words. Those two things go together. What is taught matters, and teaching comes through words. But when we think about personal Bible study, when you're reading your Bible at home for yourself or you're evaluating what's being taught, we need to be able to look at the word and evaluate it for ourselves. We need to be able to say, this is what that means. I'm, I'm getting it. I'm understanding it. Or to say, now, unless I misunderstand here, I don't see how what you're saying can possibly mean that. You see how there's an evaluation that can take place in the Word. Just because a pastor, a pastor, says something with authority and with passion doesn't make it correct. If the Word of God says it, that's what makes it correct. Do you understand? Okay, now you understand that part, but understand this as well. Just because you read your Bible and you think it means something 
doesn't mean it actually means that. You understand that part too, right? Okay, so we all understand that we need to know properly how to interpret what the Word of God is saying. Look with me in one more place here, 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we're just kind of going ahead just a little bit, 2 Timothy 4. So this is another charge given to Timothy. It can be taken by principle to be a charge given to pastors. And this is the charge that resonates deeply with me as it should, but the thing that for me has caused me so much distress in looking around at all the different churches that exist is that they have not and they may have fooled themselves into thinking so, but they have not taken hold of what this passage is saying. Listen to what it says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, by his appearing in, the, in, in his kingdom. Here's the charge, ready? Preach the word. Preach what? The word. What I'm here to tell you, and you maybe already know this, in a lot of cases, in a lot of churches, the word is not what's being preached. And it's a very scary situation because it's the larger churches that primarily are not having the word preached, which is creating masses of people who have very strong opinions on matters that are not biblical. And so when a small group of people comes along and says, but that's not biblically sound, you can brush to the side. Right? You see how it can happen that way. The majority and the minority voice. But the voice that we have here is the voice of Scripture. You know, well, let me, let me finish reading this passage here first before I say this. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they'll turn away from listening to the truth. They'll wander off into myths. Our church is special. Not the weird special. Special in the sense that there is a whole community of people here who come because of the word of God. We center ourselves on the word. We preach the word. We rally around the word. We sing the word. We pray the word of God. We are word focused. The word of God. And believe it or not, this makes us very special. Special in the sense that we are not common. And I'm so thankful. I told you when I first started, I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. 
because what this shows me is that you are dedicated to the word because you knew that when you came tonight, what would be sung about and what would be taught about. You knew that the word was going to be talked about. And you came. And I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that you are not among those of the masses who are just simply having itching ears to listen to whatever it is that's going to make you feel better about yourself and the world that you live in. What we want to hear that actually gives us a foundation to live on is the word of God itself. The word of God is what you need. But we have to remember too that we are living in a time where people are not enduring sound teaching. And they are accumulating for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And so it is no wonder to us that the larger churches are these that are not preaching biblical doctrine. It is no wonder to us. Why is it that our church is so centered on the word? Why do we focus so much of our time on the teaching of the word of God? Why is everything kind of so, you know, in a sense, straight-laced? It's because there is a charge given to me. And my charge from Scripture is this. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. This. Preach Scripture. This is what Paul is telling Timothy. Preach the Word. Why? Because this is what the people need. The body of Christ needs the word of Christ. And I wish so badly I could stand in front of each one of these pastors that I've heard and say to them, give your people the word of God. Enough with all of this other stuff that you're talking about that you think they're going to want to hear that'll bring them back next week. Give them the word of God. Tell me, is hearing the word of God always, always something that just sets so pleasantly on your heart? Sometimes does it cut you like a knife, like a sword deep into your soul? And is that not exactly what the word of God is? that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts us deep. Pastors work hard at cutting you in a sense, but cutting you with flattery to make you like what they're saying. Bring you back next week. But what we love about the word of God is that it is truth. It is from God himself. And what the word of God does when properly understood is it cuts us deep and it shows us, it opens us up and it reveals who we are on the inside to ourselves and to God, right? Isn't that what it's doing? It's cutting us open before God. And now we look and we say, that's who I really am. The word of God cuts you open so that you can see who you really are and to show you what it is that you need to be before God himself. 
And we will continue to be a church that focuses ourselves on the word of God, that the word of God will be preached. This was Paul's charge to Timothy. And he was, as he gave Timothy another charge, make sure you put elders in every town and in every church and make sure they can teach. Teach what? The word of God. Who's going to train them to do that? Timothy. Who trained Timothy? Paul. And who trained Paul? Jesus. And Gamaliel. Yes, he had an education, didn't he? Unfortunately for some, an education leads you into a field that brings you maybe above the scriptures and you can look at it and say, oh, I get it now. It's just a collection of documents from some people that, you know, they're kind of antiquated, you know. You say they're the word of God, but that's really the word of men. That's one way to get around it, isn't it? But that's not us. I'm going to, uh, I have one more passage I want to read for you tonight and we're going to end there. Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. I read this uh, recently to you, but let's look at it from a different angle tonight. This is Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, and it says, He gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. To do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. So remember, what we're talking about here is that the teachers equip the church to serve one another in this world. How do they do that? What are they teaching? The word of God. The word of God is what equips us to serve, to minister. But then it continues, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. How do we get this unity of faith? How do we get this knowledge of the Son of God? How do we achieve mature manhood? How do we achieve the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ? By teaching. By the Word. That we may be no longer children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by the craftiness and deceitful schemes. We need to be aware. By the way, this word, every wind of doctrine, that word wind means a gust of wind. It means a, it comes and then it goes. Sometimes you think of, oh, the wind because it blows wherever it will. You know, that's a different thing. You know, this is a, there's a big gust of wind, a gust of teaching that comes in that blows many away. Are there gusts of teaching blowing into our culture right now? And all these people calling themselves Christians who do not have a solid theological foundation are being blown away by this gust of teaching. Be careful that you are not blown away with it. But I trust, because you have dedicated yourself to the word, that you have an anchor. You have a foundation to the truth. But nevertheless, temptations come because it says you're carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. That's how false teaching comes. It doesn't come with a label on it. False teaching. 
No, it comes in a cunning way. It's crafty. It's deceitful. And so we need to be those who are dedicated to the word of God as a community. Don't we find strength in numbers that we're all anchored to the word of God? And so therefore, even though I might be pulled away by some kind of teaching, nobody else in the church is. Tell me, is that going to help pull you back from it? It, yes, it will. I've seen it happen. You start to drift here. Hey, did you hear this thing by this guy over here? And no, oh yeah, I did, but I, and you give a reason why you don't. And it, oh, it pulls that person back in. Because we're anchored to something. And it's something that's transcendent. It's not something from man, something that shifts and changes. It's from the unchanging word of God. And so there is an urgency for us to understand what the word of God says. Right? All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And your word is what we're talking about. Your word is what we're settled on. Your word is what we need. Your word is life to us. It is breath to us. And, and Lord, I desire that our church, that what we want to feast on, what we see as being our all, is everything that we need, is the word of God. I pray that you would lead us uh, as a church more and more towards yourself and a reliance upon your word because we trust, God, that your word is truth. And so as we study, I pray that you would give us understanding, that you would help us to uh, read your word properly, that we would rightly divide your word, that there is a right way to understand the scriptures and there is a wrong way to understand the scriptures and we understand that sin will pull us into seeing something that's not really there because it's going to make us not feel so bad about ourselves. But I pray that you would protect us from that by your spirit. Help us give us understanding. I pray that you would protect our church from error because there is so much false teaching in this world right now that just seems like it's everywhere. I pray that you would protect us and help us. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. If you weren't here on Sunday, uh, which some of you were not, there's a sign-up sheet over here for our, our candlelight service. Uh, 